You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast. In this episode, we will be hearing from consultant haematologist Dr. Al Laurie, as well as finding out who put Miko Wartle on the Friends of Anchor fundraising map and why Unsteady features on my cancer playlist. First of all, though, I used our news and update section to ask Erica Banks of Friends of Anchor to tell us about some of the multiple fundraising events that are taking place this month. So, Erica, we're into September. And I think September means golf, is that right? It does. It, today on the day this episode airs is our in-house gala golf event, which happens every year. And this year it turns 21. Brilliant. And it's the busiest golf event in the history of this one. So we're at Peter Cooter Golf Course during the day for the tournament and then at the Chester Hotel for a gala dinner in the evening. So I say this preemptively. I'm sure it will be a fantastic day. Very much looking forward to it. It's always a favourite. And may the weather be good for you. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. And I think there's other fundraising things happening in September. Yeah, we have a great number of really interesting fundraising events happening in September. All the events are always worthy of a shout out, but there are some real corkers this month. So on the 2nd of September, we're the chosen charity for the Braemar Gathering, which is obviously a world famous gathering, the Highland Games. So we will be there. Our volunteers will be there representing the charity. So if you're heading to that event, please come and see us. Terrific. On the 6th of September, one of our fundraisers, Matthew Milton, and eight of his chums are doing the National Three Peaks in 20 four hours wow yeah i mean that is a challenge and a half in itself but to do it all in the space of a day they're going to be impressive. straight off the mountain into the car onto the next one so very good luck to them absolutely and then there's one of the petrol heads porsche in the park is heading into its second year for friends of anchor that's on the 10th of september so a great one for the porsche and supercar lovers and i'm sure that'll be very family friendly as well so if you want to find out more about that one google porsche in the park aberdeenshire and they have a website with all the info because it's happening where it's out in Royal Deeside, near a Boyne, if I remember rightly. So a nice little day trip into Deeside for the supercars. Sounds good. And then from cars to bikes, we have a fundraiser and three of his pals, Andrew Duthie, this is, taking on the coast-to-coast cycle from Kyle of Lacalche to Aberdeen Beach. So think of the hills. Mm. Think of the elevation gain that's going to be tackled on those bikes. I'm sure it'll be very impressive. And then one of our newest massage therapists, Karen Reed, is doing the Scottish 10K at the end of the month. Karen is newly recruited to the team, although no stranger to Friends of Anchor, because she's helped out with various things like backstage at Courage and Brave. And we're very pleased to be welcoming her officially into our wellbeing team as one of our complimentary therapists. So good luck to you, Karen, on Absolutely. your run as well. I'm exhausted just hearing about all those activities. Know, very strenuous. Too. It's very active, isn't it? It's very healthy. <laughs> But on the note with Karen taking on her 10K, we've got a couple of new therapists to wish a very warm welcome to because Ruth Peace has joined the wellbeing team as a complimentary therapist. She's also delivering massage. So with these new hires into the team, it means that we actually now can deliver massage services five days a week in the anchor unit, which is wonderful. That's great. It is, isn't it? And being able to build those things up another level is something that we really can only do thanks to the people who are out there tackling the three peaks and doing the coast to coast cycle and have the collection cans in their shops and do the bake sales. So to everyone that makes all that support possible, thank you very much. That's really good. 
And I think hospital-based, there are things happening as well. Is that right? There are, yeah. So the level up with the massage is one thing that's happening right now. But the next development that will come in that realm is with the creation of the complementary therapy suite that's going to be in the anchor centre. So I think I may have spoken about this before on the podcast. It's going to be a dedicated space within the new anchor centre where our complementary therapies will be delivered. We will run and staff that space and building work on that room is about to commence, which is pretty exciting. And this is a room that is going to be really zen. We're talking lovely panelling and calming colours, a very relaxing space. So we're working with an architect who's done several projects like this before in other health facilities, but this is a first for Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. There's nothing else like this on site, so we feel in a very privileged position to be able to switch something like that on for anchor patients. And it'll be so accessible as well. It's on the same floor as the treatment space in the anchor centre and all patients will have to do is literally walk down a really short corridor and they will come upon this complimentary therapy suite. It's going to be allowing us to do so much more. It will allow us to offer longer appointments, which in turn will allow us to offer more specialised services. For example, massage for scar tissue management, massage for management of cording, which is a long running side effect that can come from post-surgery for breast cancer. It's going to be a really, really private space that is going to be so beneficial. And within the space, there's also going to be a separate area for hair and wig styling, which will be really private, really confidential, somewhere that people can just go and have the support of our in-house hair and wig stylist as well. That's really good to have that facility. It is. And as the opening of the centre creeps ever closer, we'll be able to share sneak peeks of the build, of the fit out, show you what the panelling looks like, what fabrics have been chosen and eventually get some of our fundraisers and stakeholders in to see the space. You know, those whose fundraising and support has made it possible. That all sounds brilliant. Thank you very much. Anything else that you want to update us on? No, but I'm really looking forward to hearing what this month's guest makes of things like the Anchor Centre. Al Laurie will be able to speak really well on the benefits that that will bring for the clinical service and for patients. So I very much look forward to hearing what he's got to say in this episode. Indeed. I will try to ask good questions of him. But there is one thing you haven't updated us on, Erica, that's your wedding. I take it that did happen, yes? <laughs> yes, that went ahead. It was a very, very happy day. We've been married for a month and are very, very happy. Lovely. And the sun shone? Yes, the sun shone. That's quite difficult to say quickly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Great. I'm glad you had a lovely day. So my next challenge, clearly, was to elicit interesting responses from this month's interview guest, Dr. Al Laurie. And right now, you can judge for yourselves whether I managed to do that. Al Laurie, welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast. Thank you very much for coming on to it. As with Dominic Culligan, you're someone that I've seen as much in my pyjamas as in any other attire, but it's good to be talking to you relatively normally on this occasion. If you don't mind, would you like to start by just telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks, Mike, for inviting me on. My name's Al Laurie. I'm a haematology consultant with Dominic in the unit, as you know. I am 43. I'm originally from Edinburgh. I did my undergraduate and most of my postgraduate training in haematology here in Aberdeen. So I have a fairly narrow worldview focused on the Northeast. And my main specialist areas of interest for treatment these days are primarily focused on the, the blood cancers, primarily leukemia and lymphoma and myeloma. And I think at the start of your career, you undertook a clinical fellowship that was actually funded by Friends of Anchor. How did that shape your career and the direction it's taken since then? 
It was a tremendous opportunity and I look back on it quite regularly as an absolutely amazing time in my life as well as an amazing professional, educational, clinical opportunity. And I have to say I miss those days immensely. I chose to do haematology having done research while I was an undergraduate. There's an option to do an intercalated year as an undergraduate and I did that in immunology and loved it. So I was always attracted to the more science-based medical specialties and that's what drove me into haematology. I'd expressed an interest in doing this, but it's a very hard thing to get into. And the benefit of having the support from Friends of Anchor to get that off the ground was just enormous. It's very much played a central part in how I practice going forward. I've ultimately chosen that I wanted to pursue an exclusively clinical career. I wanted my whole focus to be on clinical medicine, clinical haematology. One of the big things about haematology as a specialty is that it's very research focused and I think it's been very important in guiding me and driving me forward so that my practice and my knowledge is as evidence-based and as informed as possible. But it was certainly a hugely enjoyable experience. We have a couple of our current trainees who we're hopeful are going to follow the same path and I have been, I suppose, effusive in my praise for how much I enjoyed it as an experience. Great. Now it's brilliant that research can be kick-started in that way at the start of a a medical career. And tell me about research over the last few years. From what you say, there have been developments that have been important in haematology. Yeah, that was really what attracted me into the specialty. I had a fairly clear focus that I wanted to follow something with a bit more of a scientific bent. I was going through the medical rotation, which is where you rotate through different medical specialties. I actually wanted to be a renal doctor. I wanted to be a kidney specialist. And there's quite a lot of overlap in many ways between haematology and renal in terms of the the science. But I I came to haematology not really knowing what to expect because it's often quite isolated from the rest of the hospital. We're quite protective of our patients. We try and keep them in our ward it's a very specialized a lot of the management so I hadn't had a lot of exposure to it before and I think a combination of the medicine the nature of the patients the treatments and to some extent the people in the department kind of made me fall in love with it and a big chunk of that was the dynamic nature of the specialty and how much research was going on at the time and how much developments and how much exciting stuff was happening and it's interesting that 15 20 years later now that hasn't slowed down and if anything in many ways is accelerating and we have all these wonderful new exciting treatments such as CAR T-cell therapy for lymphoma and to a lesser extent leukemia, myeloma that have gone from a concept almost science fiction to the reality and to the point where we're kind of hopeful that Aberdeen will be a treatment centre for that within the next 12 months which if you were to stand back and consider just a matter of two or three years ago would have been almost unthinkable. So research is absolutely central and I suppose there's a big onus on us to keep up with it so that we are being able to say to our patients this is the best treatment for you. I am giving you the best thing that we have on offer. That's very challenging but it's also very exciting at the same time. Sure. And I believe you are on the committee at Friends of Anchor. Can you tell us a bit about that? I've been on the committee from not long after I started as a consultant, um, which is almost eight years ago now. It's an incredible privilege and honour to be involved in it. We're very fortunate to have incredible support and backup from the core, supported by Balmoral, the inimitable Sir Jimmy Milne at the head. The whole team is just absolutely fantastic, so driven, so committed, so passionate about it. 
my role is primarily advisory, is to bring a perspective as a, a medic, a haematologist, and bring that take to things, to try and bring ideas, to try and bring a perspective on things, and to try and work out how we use the, the money that's been raised in the best possible way. One of the great things about Friends of Anchor is how responsive, how dynamic mm. it is to, to requests and suggestions. So yeah, hugely enjoyable and it's it's just amazing to see what folk are doing. That's one of the things that, that we have the benefit of. We get to see what the fundraisers are doing and what the benefits are at the other end. So it's quite the privilege to be in that position and see it from both sides. Fantastic. And obviously the Anchor Centre is part of that focus as well. Are there one or two key benefits from that that uh, you're particularly looking forward to? It's hard to visualise and communicate what that will be like. I suppose from my perspective, I remember what it was like when we moved into the inpatient ward. The emergency care centre, which is where the inpatient haematology and oncology wards is housed, opened about 10 years ago. Uh, And from my perspective, it was light years ahead of where we were before in terms of facilities. And 10 years later, I still personally wander around and go, this is just brilliant. It's such a step forward. Part of the benefit was having everything in the same area, having A&E at the bottom, all the different medical specialties, having access to scans and x-rays. There's so many things that the teams forget that we had to do, you know, queuing for scans for days and days and not having access to things. And I think that will be the big benefit. Everything will be on one area. Everything will be bigger, better, more comfortable and I've seen it in the inpatient side how that translates into better care it's more efficient it's more fluid it'll just be a nicer place to be I'm really looking forward to it I think it'll be fantastic and in terms of the benefits that come from Friends of Anchor and the kind of extra that is provided as a result have there been services that you've particularly appreciated this question I've been asked before and I almost have a stock answer now and it gets more emphatic almost every time I answer it The three core areas that Friends of Anchor funds are research, equipment and well-being. And I have been a direct recipient, as it were, in that I have applied for funding for research and I have benefited hugely and I hope I have used that in a productive way. I've applied for equipment, both in a research context, but also in the ward. But undoubtedly, the thing now that I see is the X factor that Friends of Anchor provides is the well-being services. Interesting. And that face, that presence, those bodies on the ground. I think that's the, the thing that makes the big difference is just having friendly faces around. And they really are friendly faces. Yeah. Unless when I go past 1,000 miles an hour in <laughs> clinic, they're specifically putting on a cheesy grin to make me go away. It cheers me up. So I can only imagine that it's a positive experience for the vast majority of patients who are there at a very difficult and challenging time, obviously. That's, for me, the thing that makes the biggest difference. Fantastic. And I get the impression that those services are expanding all the time and they're continually coming up with new ways in which they are providing that support. The wellbeing team and the committee core have spent quite a lot of time exploring how other big cancer centres deliver that type of service to try and bring ideas back. It's something that we debate quite regularly because I don't think it's just me who feels like this. Everybody else recognises that this is a big aspect of what the charity does. It seems to be very popular. Obviously, not everybody gets the benefit from it, but a large number of patients do. 
there's going to be competing priorities, but the current senior nurses, senior management are very receptive to mm. the idea. And I feel it's it's all moving in the right direction at the moment. And when we get the anchor centre and there will be more dedicated space, I think that will increase our options for the types of things that we can do for patients. So it's very exciting. Brilliant. And you've suggested you've been on the receiving end of these benefits, but I, I think you've also been active as, as well in fundraising. Doing my research, I came across a very fetching picture of you in Red Lycra in Shetland. Uh, tell the listeners a bit about that. Oh, it was fantastic. So the 20-year anniversary when Friends of Anchor had the 20 anchors scattered around the northeast as well as the islands, I decided to cycle between them, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> So I took the ferry to Shetland, to Orkney, and then back to the mainland, and then cycled between the other 17 on the mainland. I remember the the Facebook post on the day I left said that Al will be cycling, I think it was like 1,800 miles, but actually about 1,500 of them were on on other modes of transport, not on a bike. So I was getting all these messages from folks saying, that's amazing, you're cycling 2,000 miles. It's like, no, I'm cycling about 300. Uh, Please take that down. That's not accurate at all. I like cycling. I cycle to work and back. It's a great way to clear my head, and it was a great way to see large chunks of the countryside that I hadn't seen before. I combined it with going around the community hospitals en route, Mm. which was brilliant. I was amazed at how welcoming and receptive everybody was. It was lovely. I constantly think back. Obviously, it was not a long way prior to the pandemic. And I sort of had visions of taking the bike to Orkney and cycling around Orkney and then doing a clinic. All of these things have never really transpired. But one of the things that I came back with was the importance of community-based treatments, kind of improving how we work with the guys in the community who are under tremendous pressure, just like much of the health service. I was very fortunate that people were very generous and gave very generously. And it was nice to make a contribution and give back, having received in so many different ways. But I have to be honest with you, I got to cycle around the countryside on a pass when I had small children that I probably should have been at home looking after. And my wife just put up with it. And I got to see huge chunks of Aberdeenshire and the islands and Murray that I probably wouldn't get to see. And I got to spend several days on my bike. So I'm sort of constantly trying to think what I can do. I debated swimming around the coast, but then I thought that was probably a bit much. But I think I'm going to try and do something else at some stage, mainly to try and give back, but also because it was such an enjoyable experience to get out there and, and meet folk. But if your wife listens to this podcast, you'll be rumbled, I'm afraid, Al. <laughs> no, she was a huge source of support, actually. She was almost like a support driver, as well as as well as well looking after the small children. She was oh. uh, driving after me in case there was a puncture. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic, yeah. Superb. And on, on last month's podcast, Erica was saying that the money that that particular initiative was going towards the Dream Big campaign has, has really just come to fruition in terms of recruiting that world-class cancer research team that's going to make a difference to the northeast yeah that's right it's wonderful to see that come to fruition as you put it and get those posts filled i think it's a little bit under recognized how much work that has taken raising the money was just such an amazing achievement but then actually turning the money into the right product and the right team has taken a lot of work and a yeah. lot of discussion and i think those involved with it in the university and in the department are extremely happy with the outcome so yeah it's brilliant 
And September is Blood Cancer Awareness Month. Are there any particular things you'd like to highlight in connection with that? Certainly locally, we would like to think of ourselves as being pretty proactive, pretty vigilant. We see a lot of patients in the clinic who we've kind of identified incidentally because they've had a scan or they've had a blood test. And I suppose the reality is that blood cancers are very diverse they can affect people in so many different ways. From a professional point of view, that's one of the appeals of working in haematology is its diversity and its interest. But I suppose what I wouldn't want to do is create any worry or panic amongst people. I mean, there are classic symptoms of, of certain types of blood cancer like swollen lymph nodes. And I certainly think anyone with a swollen lymph node who's worried should get that checked out. And we have good pathways and processes in place for doing that, not just in our department, but with our colleagues in the surgical and the radiology departments. And where would we find our, our lymph nodes typically? Well, I often say to patients, you're, you're, you've got hundreds of lymph nodes. They're a normal part of your body. They're like little motorway service stations. So you have lots of them. But the ones that you can feel, they run alongside blood vessels. Okay. So you have them in your neck, you have them under your arm. You have them at the tops of your legs. You have lots and lots of them inside your chest and your tummy as well, but they're buried, so you're not going to be able to feel them. Okay. Any swollen lymph nodes in those areas, if they're persistent or they're getting bigger or you're worried about them at all, that, that would be a sign to get checked out. Um, what other symptoms can, can you get? Marked weight loss, drenching sweats. These are, these are also features of lymphoma. That's really helpful. Thank you for explaining that. I would like to round off our conversation by asking for your reflections on two elements of what you have said that I have found particularly thought-provoking. You have been in the interesting position of being a fundraiser while also being a member of a committee that gets to spend that money. What would you say to fellow fundraisers to assure them that the money that they raise will be well used? As someone who has raised money, not very much, um, and as someone who has been a recipient of money quite a lot, one of the things that I feel is very important as being a role on the committee is making sure that it's used appropriately. And I can certainly say that's the case. One of the great things about Friends of Anchor, is, as we constantly hear, is that the costs, the administrative costs are met by Balmoral. So all of the money that's raised yeah. goes into cancer and haematology care. The people that are making the decisions about how the money is used are the people that work in the department. It's not distant administrators. It's not part of a wider decision-making process. That may have its strengths and its weaknesses, but on the most part, what we're saying is this is what we feel is, is beneficial and needed. We're out there looking for how best to drive things forward in other departments. So it's brilliant to see how much it does. I certainly don't find myself thinking... Blame me, we've just wasted all that money on X. Yeah. Uh, I, I really don't find that. I, I really feel that the money is used well, it's used appropriately, and it really does make a difference. I think it's really important to try and communicate that. It amazes me how committed and how passionate people are about what they do to raise money, much more than my trivial wee efforts. Most folk are happy to say, we trust you. And that's a huge responsibility. And what I would say back is that I really do genuinely believe that it's used appropriately and it's used well. And it's amazing how much Aberdeen has over other centres. We have colleagues who've worked in other parts of Scotland and the UK who come here and go, yeah, we didn't have this where I worked. We had something a bit like it. You often hear that. Cancer charities are common, but it wasn't like this. This is, this is something else. And that's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant to be part of. Great. And secondly, let's end where we began, with Friends of Anchor and research. How would you sum up what the Friends of Anchor funding of research is helping to achieve? 
Friends of Anchor funds a huge amount of research in Aberdeen and it helps us punch above our weight in that respect. I mean, the reality is that there's a huge amount of work between what we would term basic science, which is the sort of starting point of any research and the development of a new drug for the treatment of cancer. But even playing a small part in that role is moving things forward. I think a key aspect of spending money on research is that if you have the people brought in by the funding, and that's where the Dream Big campaign comes in, if you bring in a core team, then that will then lead to further research and that will lead to further opportunities and that will lead to then more people coming. It all moves the general field of treatment of, of blood disorders and cancers forward. But in practical terms, what we're really wanting to do is we're wanting to say that the patients in the northeast of Scotland and the islands are getting access to treatments just that little bit better and that little bit quicker than they might do. And I think that very clearly is shifted in a positive direction by the Friends of Anchor funding. Sometimes it's maybe hard to directly demonstrate, but in other cases it's quite clear where that study or that clinical trial has made a difference, moved things forward, accelerated access to a treatment that works. In some cases, that is life-saving. As regular listeners to the podcast will know, our From the Archives slot is currently celebrating the contributions made over the years to the work of Friends of Anchor by communities across the northeast of Scotland. In this month's excursion, I have featured three specific locations just because I've always felt that they are place names full of character and personality. First up is Bucky, where in spring 2008, youngsters Victoria Aitken and Christy Scott completed a sponsored No Sweeties for a Month challenge, raising £170.40 in the process. I love the Bucky accent, and I've never yet met anyone from Bucky who can't tell a good story. Then, late in 2010, the Denmore Park Gals and Pals completed a twilight walk from Bridge of Don to Fitty and back, raising £2,124 for Friends of Anchor and £2,626 for Breast Cancer Care UK. In addition to being a highly attractive fishing community that has maintained its own character despite having long ago been assimilated into Aberdeen, Fitty gets the thumbs up from me because it is spelt foot D, but is pronounced Fitty, and does not in fact derive its name from being at the foot of a D. And finally, also in 2010, Melanie Wilson from Meikle Wartle celebrated her 21st birthday with a pink-themed party, donating to Friends of Anchor £200 that had been received from family and friends instead of birthday presents. And I'm actually not going to say anything else about Meikle Wartle, because as far as I'm concerned, Meikle Wartle is the most characterful of names and can hold its own in any company. There we are then, Bucky, Fitty and Meikle Wartle, three iconic place names from the northeast of Scotland that have been put on the map by brilliant Friends of Anchor fundraisers. Moving on to our Finding the Words section, I am joined, as ever, by my wife, Alison. Welcome, Alison. Thanks, Mike. That's kind, but I was half expecting not to be here this month, as I reckon that we must be close to wrapping up this feature. After all, in last month's episode, we spoke about the final part of your core treatment, the stem cell transplant. I can see why you might have thought that would be the case, but I still have some ideas of topics that could be worth covering. Of course you do. How could I have been so naive as to think otherwise? Okay then, what do you want to talk about this time? For this episode, Alison, I would like to talk about my cancer playlist. 
That's interesting, because I didn't even realise that you had a cancer playlist. Well, it's a kind of playlist. I thought that it might be worth mentioning that sometimes we can use someone else's words from a song or a poem, for example, to help us to get across something that we are trying to say. Please tell me that you didn't record some songs and then send them to All and Sundry to let them know how you were feeling. Not quite. But what I did do was to send a number of video messages with a song as a backing track, usually to mark a particular moment or occasion. Okay, I certainly remember you sending those video selfies. I just hadn't realised that the music was such a big part of that. Well, I reckoned that not only might the songs make my messages a bit more interesting, they could also become part of what I was trying to communicate. I'm a bit concerned that you have completely lost our listeners by now. So can you give us an example of what you're talking about? Sure. One of my video messages was put together to welcome guests to a fundraising event for Friends of Anchor that had been brilliantly organised by a group of Essex pupils from the school at which I taught. They had organised an amazing dinner and raffle, and while I couldn't attend because of my treatment, I wanted to send a message of welcome and thanks that could be played at the start of the evening. And what was the soundtrack to your message? I went for I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. Really? I do worry about your musical taste sometimes. Well, if you look at the lyrics, the song just seemed to fit the occasion. For example, I'm feeling, open brackets, woohoo, close brackets, but tonight's going to be a good night. What more do you need to kickstart an evening of fun and fundraising? I will take your word for that, but I don't really see how that song helped you to share how you were feeling at the time. You asked for an example, and that was one I used to mark a particular occasion. But the song that I would choose because it helped me to communicate more than I think would have been possible otherwise was Unsteady by Ex Ambassadors. Again, we are quite different in our musical taste. Indeed we are. And I'm not sure how many of the school colleagues to whom I sent the song would have been familiar with Ex Ambassadors, but I really like them. And Unsteady is a beautiful, haunting song that includes the lines, Hold, hold on, hold on to me, because I'm a little unsteady, a little unsteady. I appreciate that it probably sounds a bit awkward or contrived talking about it like this. But in addition to the words of thanks and update in my video message, that backing track was my way of trying to get across what it meant to me that the staff had done so much to let me know that they were thinking about me and supporting me, even though that had to happen at a distance. And to be fair, that song definitely struck a chord with me as well. And it's one of a number of songs that have meant a lot to us jointly over the years because of what they have been able to convey and capture through words and music. So that's us for this month. As ever, we'd be really interested to hear your thoughts or feedback on anything that we have said. So please do get in touch via foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. And I take it that we're on again next month and that you've still got more Finding the Words content to come? Perhaps. You'll just have to wait and see. Don't worry. I know what that means. See you next time. Thank you. I'll see you then. For this month's and finally item, I thought that rather than bringing you a playlist, I would see what is currently being recommended as far as podcasts are concerned. My information source on this occasion is the website FeedSpot, which has produced a list of the 80 best cancer podcasts worth listening to in 2023. It's clearly not a comprehensive and totally authoritative list, as the devastating news on a personal level is that the Friends of Anchor podcast is nowhere to be found. However, I take comfort from the fact that it is a rather random mix of shows, including a number that are no longer putting out episodes regularly. 
While it now comes into that latter category, I was delighted that the exceptional You, Me and the Big C, made famous by Deborah James and mentioned by Angie Shepherd in her interview, comes in at number two, pipped to top spot only by the Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals. Talking Cancer from Macmillan Cancer Support is another podcast that has tackled difficult subjects with great honesty over the last few years, and it deservedly comes in at number three. Otherwise, I find some of the choices on the list a bit surprising, but the range of topics and titles is certainly interesting. I will leave you with three examples that particularly caught my attention. Featured at number six is Jesse vs. Cancer, in which a stand-up comedian specialises in rambling, sometimes about cancer, but often about many other gripes as well. At number 19, we find that the stem cell has its very own podcast. And at number 22, the latest developments in tackling GU cancers, such as prostate, bladder, testicular and kidney cancers, are discussed in a podcast produced by a fascinating group of scientists called the Euromigos. If you have any cancer-related podcast recommendations of your own, please send them in to foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk, which is also where you can direct any other suggestions, feedback, or questions. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Friends of Anchor podcast, and please join us again next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 